Chapters thirty, thirty one, and thirty two of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty. They are very attentive to us here, remarked the doctor, as one after another of Harry's personal friends paid their respects, for his sake, to the old couple at number twenty. Very attentive, and yet, Miss Hall, I only practiced physic in this town six months, five years ago. It is really astonishing how long a good physician will be remembered. And the doctor crossed his legs comfortably and tapped on his snuff box. Ruth's brother, Hyacinth, leaves before the funeral, doctor, said the old lady. I suppose you see through that. He intends to be off and out of the way before the time comes to decide where Ruth shall put her head after Harry is buried, and there's her father, just like him. He has been as uneasy as an eel in a frying pan ever since he came, and this morning he went off without asking a question about Harry's affairs. I suppose he thinks it is our business, and he owning bank stock. I tell you, doctor, that Ruth may go a-begging for all the help she'll get from her folks. Or from me either, said the doctor, thrusting his thumbs into the armholes of his vest and striding across the room. She has been a spoiled baby long enough. She will find earning her living a different thing from sitting with her hands folded, with Harry chained to her feet. "'What did you do with that bottle of old wine, Miss Hall, "'which I told you to bring out of Harry's room? "'He never drank but one glass of it, "'after that gentleman sent it to him, "'and we might as well have it "'as to let those lazy waiters drink it up. "'There were two or three bunches of grapes, too, "'he didn't eat. "'You had better take them, too, while you're about it.' "'Well, it don't seem, after all, "'as if Harry was dead,' said the doctor musingly. "'But the Lord's will be done.' "'Here comes your dressmaker, Miss Hall.' "'Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon, sir,' said Miss Skinlan, with a doleful whine, drawing down the corners of her mouth and eyes to suit the occasion. "'Sad affliction you've met with. As our minister says, man is like the herb of the field, blooming to-day, withered to-morrow. Life is short. Will you have your dress gathered or biased, ma'am?' "'Quite immaterial.' said the old lady, anxious to appear indifferent, though you may as well, I suppose, do it the way which is worn the most. Well, some likes it one way, and then again some likes it another. The doctor's wife in the big white house yonder. Do you know the doctor's wife, ma'am? No, said the old lady. Nice folks, ma'am, open-handed. Never mind my giving em back the change when they pay me. She was a skefflet. Do you know the skefflets? possible why they were our first folks well uh, where was i oh the doctor's wife has her gowns biased but then she's getting fat and wants to look slender i'd advise you to have yourn gathered dreadful affliction you've met with ma'am beautiful corpse your son is i always look at corpses to remind me of my latter end some corpses keep much longer than others don't you think so ma'am they tell me your son's wife is most crazy because they doted on one another so the doctor and his wife exchanged meaning looks do tell said miss skinlan dropping her shears well i never how disdainful is the heart as our minister says why everybody about here took em for regular turtle doves all is not gold that glitters 
remarked the old lady. There is many a heartache that nobody knows anything about. But he who made the heart, in my opinion, our son was not anxious to continue in this world of trial longer. You don't, said Miss Skinlin. Pious? Certainly, said the doctor. Was he not our son? Though, since his marriage, his wife's influence was very worldly. Pity! whined Miss Skinlin. Professors should let their light shine. I always try to drop a word in season, wherever business calls me. Will you have a crossway fold on your sleeve, ma'am? I don't think it would be out of place, even on this mournful occasion. Mrs. Tufts wore one when her eldest child died, and she was dreadful grief-stricken. I remember she gave me, poor dear, a five-dollar note instead of a two, but that was a thing I hadn't the heart to harass her about at such a time. I respected her grief too much, ma'am. Did I understand you that I was to put the crossway folds on your sleeve, ma'am? You may do as you like, whined the old lady. People do dress more at hotels. Yes, said Miss Skinlin, and I often feel reproved for aiding and abetting such foolish vanities, and yet, if I refused, from conscientious scruples to trim dresses, I suppose somebody else would, so you see, it wouldn't do any good. Your daughter-in-law is left rich, I suppose. I always think that's a great consolation to a bereaved widow. You needn't suppose any such thing, said the doctor, facing Miss Skinlin. She hasn't the first red cent. Dreadful! shrieked Miss Skinlin. What is she going to do? That tells the whole story, said the doctor. Sure enough, what is she going to do? I suppose she'll live with you, said Miss Skinlin suggestively. You needn't suppose that either, retorted the doctor. It isn't every person, Miss Skinlin, who is agreeable enough to be taken into one's house. Besides, she has got folks of her own. Oh, ah, said Miss Skinlin, rich? Yes, very, said the doctor, unless some of their poor relatives turn up, in which case they are always dreadfully out of pocket. I understand, said Miss Skinlin, with a significant nod. Well, I don't see anything left for her to do but to earn her living, like some other folks. Precisely, said the doctor. Oh, ah, said Miss Skinlin, who had at last possessed herself of the whole story. "'I forgot to ask you how wide a hem I should allow on your black crape veil,' said Miss Skinlin, tying on her bonnet to go. "'Half a yard width is not considered too much for the deepest affliction. Your daughter, the widow, will probably have that width,' said the crafty dressmaker. "'In my opinion, Ruth is in no deeper affliction than we are,' said the doctor, growing very red in the face, "'although she makes more fuss about it. "'So you may just make the hem of Miss Hall's veil half-yard deep, too, "'and send the bill into number twenty, where it will be footed by Dr. Zekel Hall, "'who is not in the habit of ordering what he can't pay for. "'That tells the whole story.' "'Good morning,' said Miss Skinlin, with another doleful whine. "'May the Lord be your support, and let the light of his countenance shine upon you, as our minister says.'" End of Chapter 30 Chapter 31 Slowly the funeral procession wound along. The gray-haired gatekeeper of the cemetery stepped aside, and gazed into the first carriage as it passed in. 
He saw only a pale woman veiled in sable, and two little wondering rosy faces gazing curiously out the carriage window. All about on either side were graves, some freshly sodded, others green with many a summer's verdure, and all treasuring sacred ashes while the mourners went about the streets. Dust to dust. Harry's coffin was lifted from the hearse and laid upon the green sward by the side of little Daisy. Over him waves leafy trees of his own planting, while through the branches the shifting shadows came and went, lending a mocking glow to the dead man's face. Little Katie came forward and gazed into the yawning grave till her golden curls fell like a veil over her wondering eyes. Ruth leaned upon the arm of her cousin, a dry, flinty, ossified man of business, a man of angles, a man of forms, a man with veins of ice, who looked the Almighty in the face complacently, thanking God he was not as other men are, who gazed with stony eyes upon the open grave, and the orphan babes, and the bowed form at his side, which swayed to and fro like the young tree before the tempest blast. Dust to dust. Ruth shrinks trembling back, then leans eagerly forward. Now she takes the last lingering look at features graven on her memory with lines of fire, and now, as the earth falls with a hard hollow sound upon the coffin, a lightning thought comes with stunning force to little Katie, and she sobs out, Oh, they are covering my papa up. I can't ever see papa any more. Dust to dust. The sexton smooths the moist earth carefully with his reverse spade. Ruth's eyes follow his movements with a strange fascination. Now the carriages roll away one after another, and the wooden man turns to Ruth and says, Come. She looks into his stony face, then at the new-made mound, utters a low, stifled cry, and staggers forth with her crushing sorrow. Oh, earth! Earth, with thy mocking skies of blue, thy placid silver streams, thy myriad, memory-haunting, orderous flowers, thy wheels of triumph rolling, rolling on, over-breaking hearts and prostrate forms, maimed, tortured, crushed, yet not destroyed. O oh, mocking earth, snatching from our frenzied grasp the lifelong coveted treasure, most treacherous earth, are these thy unkept promises? Oh, hadst thou no Gethsemane, no Calvary, no guarded tomb, no risen Lord? End of chapter 31 Chapter 32 And is it because Biddy McPherson don't suit her that you'd be after sending her away? said Ruth's nursery maid. No, Biddy, replied Ruth. You have been respectful to me, and kind and faithful to the children, but I cannot afford to keep you now since—and Ruth's voice faltered. "'If that is all, my lady,' said Biddy, brightening up, "'then I'll not be after laughing sure.' "'Thank you,' said Ruth, quite moved by her devotion. "'But you must not work for me without wages. Besides, Biddy, I could not even pay your board.' 
and the tears not dry on your cheek, and the father of him and you with plenty of the cellar, may the divil fly away with him. Why, Nettie is but a baby yet, and Massa used to say you must walk every day to keep off the bad headaches, and it's come in cold weather, and you can take Nettie out, and you can leave her with Katie, and anyhow, it isn't Biddy McPherson that'll be going away entirely. The allusion to Harry's tender care of Ruth's health opened the wound afresh, and she wept convulsively. "'I say it's a shame,' said Biddy, becoming more excited at the sight of her tears. "'And you can't do it, my lady. You are as white as a sheet of paper.' "'I must,' said Ruth, controlling herself with a violent effort. "'Say no more, Biddy. I don't know where I am going, but wherever it may be, I shall always be glad to see you. Katie and Nettie shall not forget their kind nurse. Now go and pack your trunk,' said Ruth, assuming a composure she was far from feeling. "'I thank you for your kind offer, though I cannot accept it.' "'May the souls of em never get out of purgatory. That's Biddy's last word to em said the impetuous Irish girl, and if the priest himself should say that St. Peter wouldn't open the gate for your ladyship, I wouldn't believe him. And unclasping little Nettie's clinging arms from her neck, and giving a hurried kiss to little Katie, Biddy went sobbing through the door, with her check apron over her broad Irish face. End of chapter 32